welcome to Across Acoustics, the official podcast of the Acoustical Society of America's Publications Office. On this podcast, we will highlight authors' research from our four publications, the Journal of the Acoustical Society of America, also known as JAZA, JAZA Express Letters, Proceedings of Meetings on Acoustics, also known as POMA and Acoustics Today. I'm your host, Melanie Walters, Publications Business Manager at ASA. Today, our guest is Dr. Jonathan Harrington, Professor of Phonetics and Speech Processing at Institute for Phonetics and Speech Processing, Ludwig Maximilians University of Munich, Germany. We will be discussing the paper, Phonetic Change in an Antarctic Winter, published in the November 2019 issue of the Journal of the Acoustical Society of America, co-authored by Dr. Harrington. Hello, Dr. Harrington. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hello, thank you. Thank you very much. We start with our guests giving our listeners a brief history of their background. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, so uh, as you said, I'm a professor of phonetics at the um, University of Munich. I started out on this um, academic path as a PhD student of linguistics at the University of Cambridge in um, England, and I specialized there then in phonetics and speech science. Then I worked as a postdoc at um, Edinburgh University when they started up the Center for Speech Technology Research. That was in um, 1984, and we were uh, working on automatic speech recognition. And then after that, in uh, 1989, I went to um, Macquarie University, Sydney, Australia, um, and um, directed the speech hearing and language research center and um, was uh, also um, involved in um, cognitive science as well there. Yeah, I was there until uh, 2001. Then uh, we um, left Australia, it's me and my family, took up a professorship at the University of Kiel in North Germany from 2002 until six and um, after that I have well I've been here in um, Munich since then so that's a sort of brief summary of where I've been at least yeah wow very good (laughs) you've traveled a lot for for work we have yes Now, let's jump into your research. I wanted to start with letting our listeners know that this research was funded by a European Research Council advanced grant. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes, that's right. Wonderful. And I know from researching, that type of grant is very competitive and it expects uh, support investigator-driven research. That's right. Yes, that's right. So it's basically five years worth of funding basic research as well, which is actually very, very good, and it's um, generously funded. And um, anyone from um, around the world can apply for one of these things. So uh, it's just then you um, have to be based in Europe. That's all if you decide to take up the grant. Ah, I see. (laughs) Very good. Very good. 
Okay, now uh, to move into your paper, you discuss an acoustic analysis made of the speech characteristics of individuals recorded before and during a prolonged stay in Antarctica. Could you explain why you and your co-authors began the study of these speech characteristics? Yes, so uh, it was actually something which we had been thinking about for some time, even before we started the um, ERC project. And uh, what we wanted to um, do with this is to um, work out the conditions under which spoken accent starts, how it actually gets going. So we... Um, know, of course, that when there was migration to um, America with the Mayflower and um, settlement in um, Australia and New Zealand and so on, that after a while, they developed their um, own characteristic way of speaking, i.e. their own spoken accent. And uh, so that must have uh, something to do with then the, this um, isolation. So that's the first thing. And interaction as well, because, of course, with the uh, Mayflower folks or even, of course, in Australia as well, people had to cooperate with each other and talk to each other um, because if they didn't, well, then they wouldn't survive. So the um, issue is then, how can you um, replicate isolation and interaction in um, modern times? And so that's then when, when we thought of Antarctica, because they, these are recordings that took place during an um, Antarctic winter, and while, of course, there is still some internet contact with the rest of the world, although uh, they said that because, of course, this is uh, all via um, satellite phone, that it is fairly sparing. So, but, but the um, main thing is then that you have a group of people isolated because in the winter months there, there is... Um, no way in and no way out. So you're actually stuck there for a three, four or five month period, whether you like it or not. And so that's the first thing. And of course, then they um, have to cooperate with each other and they have to interact with each other because as in, you know, first um, settlement times, um, if you don't, then you'll die. So, so, so it's those two conditions, really, which are very important. And so now, of course, one thing is, is that the time scale of being in Antarctica is very, very short. I mean, it's only three, four, five, six months or something like that. And so, and I mean, that, you know, doesn't um, compare with... Um, folks went in the Mayflower. I mean, I mean, you know, they, they were actually stuck there for the rest of their lives if they um, survived that. So, so what that means then, of course, is that the magnitude of um, accent change, which we 
expect from Antarctica is very, very small in in comparison, for example, with development of an American accent, which of course has evolved over hundreds of years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, I yeah. see. That's interesting. Um, now you touched on this a bit. But could you kind of go into detail of how an individual acquires specific accents? Could you describe the variables that make up an individual's uh, spoken accent? So most of this, it is it is true, is set, of course, first of all, in childhood. So the accent with which you speak in your earliest years is is your caregivers. So it's it, it'll be, you know, that of your parents, that of your family, i.e. those to whom you are exposed most of the time. That, of course, means then that when a child goes to school, that the um, accent will change and... If, of course, then, for example, the parents have moved into a new dialect area, then the child will speak in that dialect and it will no longer speak with the accent of its parents. So, for example, I mean, um, I mean, when uh, we, we went to um, Australia and uh, when um, my daughter had just been born and she went to an Australian school uh, when she was four and I speak with a British English accent, my wife with a um, Northern Irish accent and she spoke with an Australian accent which she still has. That is because in the daytime she interacted with Australian children. So that's the first thing. And then, but accent, though, in um, adulthood is um, malleable. So that if you move region into different dialect region, then um, whether you like it or not, you uh, will pick pick up some of the characteristics of that dialect okay now i mean the the um size of that shift in um adults is smaller than it is for children who you know start out in school but it is um measurable yeah mostly mostly comes down to who you talk to and how often yeah so i mean if, if of course you you move to um canada for example and never ever speak to canadians well then you're not going to acquire a canadian accent ah okay that's interesting <laughs> now um to uh, go into your research a little more, um, your research measures changes to speech as a result of spending time in Antarctica, and you chose a small group of individuals who would be spending several months in an Antarctic winter, as you mentioned. Um, and this group was part of the British Antarctic Survey. Could you describe the parameters and focus of the study? 
what we did first of all is they they have training session basically the um, um, British um, Antarctic Survey has a training session which is then where all of those who are due to go to um, Antarctica meet up for the first time and it was in that training session then where I explained that I wanted to um, record their speech and asked for volunteers and what what we um, wanted to do and what was very important indeed is that we should um, record from them before they went to Antarctica and then in Antarctica itself so that we could then measure any um, change then in Antarctica um, relative then to this baseline as it were when um, yeah so that was the first thing and then it was uh, also uh, important that that Antarctic winters did not um, know each other beforehand which they didn't so that was also fine and we recorded from them then um, either actually on that training day or if that wasn't possible then we uh, went to their um, homes and we um, recorded from them there now they when they are in um, Antarctica they are um, very very busy with with all sorts of things with all sorts of um, scientific things which are yeah and and I mean I should add too that the um, winterers weren't only scientists they, they were support staff as well so you have for example um, medical staff and you have engineers you have plumber for example and so you know I mean you know basically so that they can survive there for that you know time so um and and their um accents were um very very varied so uh one or two of them spoke a bit like I do with a British English accent but then we had some from Scotland we had uh one person from the um United States I think it was from the west coast we had a first language german speaker and a um first language um icelandic speaker as well and that's all fine because of course that is um exactly what we wanted was this sort of mixture of um lots of um accent types because of course if accents had all been the same well then it would be far more difficult to expect and um, measure any accent change now um, as I said they they have limited time so um, ideally of course we would have liked to have recorded from them in conversations but that just wasn't possible so we uh, chose then um, sets of words which they just read one at a time from a computer screen and these words um, contained vowels where we thought um, if there is going to be any um, change then it might be here so I should say that as far as 
that was concerned, uh, it was a bit of a fishing expedition, which was that we just weren't sure whether we were going to find any change whatsoever. In fact, I was expecting to find no change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it, really. Yeah. I mean, it's, this, is, this is it, you see, with the um, um, with European Research Council wants then that you do um, high-risk research. <laughs> so, so this was an example of high-risk research <laughs> where, where we might well have found absolutely I nothing. See. Yeah. Okay. So that's what they did. And they um, read these words then um, before they went to Antarctica and then in um, Antarctica uh, every um, month or so. And the uh, recording itself took only 15 minutes. Um, and we were looking then for um, changes to vowels. And we chose vowels as well because... Um, vowels uh, change very, very slowly. You can actually see you know, incremental changes, let's say from an oo to an oo, oo to oo, which, you know, the, the, whereas, whereas with consonants, I mean, if an, if an uh, S, for example, if a S uh, changes into a SH, which you do have actually in um, North America, so that Columbus, Ohio, for example, rather than saying street, you'll hear sh street with a sh. But that uh, change from s to sh is uh, oft not as gradual, right? So it's a sort of jump from s to esh. Mm -hmm. And since, of course, we had only four or five months or so, and since we were uh, expecting incremental changes, and that's one of the reasons then as well why uh, why we focused on vowels. Oh, I see. And after the recordings were complete, um, how was the data analyzed and how did you apply the agent base computational model to the recordings? Yeah, yeah. So the um, so the analysis was an um, acoustic comparison of the uh, vowels in um, Antarctica um, relative then to the baseline, and here then we measure the um, resonances, the resonance frequencies basically of the vowels, which are um, also called formants. So the um, reason then why um, when I say, for example, E and then N, the uh, reason then why you um, um, hear E rather than U is because the formant frequencies are markedly different for an E compared with an U. So we were, what we wanted to see then if there was uh, any um, evidence then of form and frequency changes. So that was that comparison. And what we found was the uh, vowels which we were um, looking at, most of all were the um, E vowel in um, happy and city, i.e. the uh, one which is... Uh, 
spelt with a Y. Then uh, the um, oo sounds in words like food. Um, and the um, oo sound in um, window. And what we found was that there was um, no change in, in the E, that there was a very slight shift then in the um, oo sound so that, so that the second form and frequency increased for the oo and for the o, which um, means then that they were uh, produced with a very, very slightly more forward tongue position than um, before Antarctica. So I'll exaggerate what that sounds like so that so that um, if oo then has a low second form of frequency, it sounds like oo. And if it has a high second form of frequency, it sounds like oo. So from oo to oo. Now the shift though from was uh, nothing like as large as from oo to oo, but it was in that direction. So that was one of the um, changes anyway. And, and then we found as well that there was convergence, um, at least for, for that oo and o, so that the, uh, what that means then is that the um, winterers uh, sounded just that little bit more like each other. I mean, microscopically so when they were in Antarctica than before Antarctica. So that was that bit. Then for the um, agent-based um, model, this is a computational model where we um, represent each of the winterers with virtual um, agent. And we um, supply this agent then with a, um, a very basic vocabulary, so that so that in this case then the vocabulary was those words which they had read out. We tell the um, agent whether the uh, word has an e vowel or an o vowel or an u vowel, and most importantly then is that we give each of the agents the um, recorded speech data before they went to Antarctica. Okay, so then you have these um, agents there with this speech data vocabulary, which is very small. And then we get these agents to talk to each other so that um, one of the agents transmits a word and the vowel and then recorded speech signal to an um, um, agent listener. And then there are, there are various criteria as well for um, whether or not that um, listener um, memorizes what it, what it has just heard. And we repeat this then, for example, I think this was... Um, 50,000 times, so, so we, you know, randomly, randomly um, selected then um, um, agent, agent pairs in this, in, in this way. And so then uh, what we did was we uh, wanted to see, first of all, then if, 
if um, after then this computational um, interaction, there was um, um, any acoustic change. And most importantly, then, was this computational change in the same direction as um, change which we had found in um, Antarctica? And to a certain extent, it was so that uh, what we found then was that the computational model predicted that there should be um, no change to E. It um, exaggerated vastly the um, degree of change in U in words like food. So, so output then of the computational model was a um, much more fronted ooh than had actually um, taken place in um, Antarctica, and and it got the shift then to O more or less um, right. So uh, so what that means is then is that we uh, found then that there had been some shift um, to Winterer's speech in Antarctica. And to a certain extent, we could predict this, predict this with our computational model. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really, it's really, really amazing. Yeah. That's, you know, what the Winterer's, the, the vowel change in the Winterer's kind of, you know, was... Yeah, what the model showed as well. Well, it yes, that's right. I mean, I I was um, not expecting, first of all, to um, uh, find any change, and then was um, pleasantly surprised as well when uh, not only then uh, when we did find change, but that we could also model it um, computationally. But of course, I should say that this is. Um, only based on um, 11 speakers. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. So, I mean, it might well have been the case if we had had a different um, set of speakers that, that it um, wouldn't have worked out. So, yeah, I think that that actually, I mean, that is, that is limitation of this uh, I see. study, which I would like to... Um, emphasize here that yes it, it was a very nice finding but it is only for 11 speakers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense makes sense and lastly are there any other details you would like the listeners to know about the research uh um details itself uh well i can say that uh we would like to um replicate this of course with a um larger group of speakers uh, but it's very difficult to do in that way, you know, I mean, to um, find your speakers. And of course, I mean, if this had been in the um, COVID times, then I mean, we just wouldn't have been able to um, um, do it at all. I guess that uh, this has implications, for example, for, I mean, if we, uh, if we should send astronauts on a, um, on a mission to Mars, where they're away from home and isolated for eighteen months. Well, actually, for for, for, a, for a you know long, long period of time, then the um, implications are uh, that, that 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 they would actually start 
to uh, develop a Martian accent. Oh, so that's all, <laughs> that needs some um, empirical investigation. But that is actually what what the implication is anyway. The the isolation with um, interaction mm -hmm. leads then to um, accents like like American English, New Zealand English, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we want to work out then is if if you um, know something about the speakers that um, um go into the um mixture mm -hmm. i.e for example the um those on the um mayflower or those who you know first settled in um new zealand can you then predict the direction in which the accent will develop and that's that's what what we have tried to do with this um, limited study. Wow, very interesting. I could I could just <laughs> listen to talk about linguistics and vowels forever. This, this is really amazing. it's a fascinating subject, isn't it? it? Yes, it's very. Yes, much that's so. right. I mean, and 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 you know that um, that there are studies as well, which you know show that um, 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 accent development is microscopic so there's um research for example by katie drager from um hawaii and she showed for example that um a group of school children who regularly meet for lunch every day over 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 a, um, a long period of time begin to develop characteristics which they have and which aren't shared then by um, um, other members of the same school you that's know interesting yeah yeah well that's right you see and it's of course because we um imitate each other and we imitate each other as well in in a very very subtle fine way that we can't even hear right but of course then the um issue is if you can't hear it or if you're not aware of it mm -hmm. how does this um imitation come about because you'd have thought you know i mean if i wish to um imitate another person that i you know ha have to be able to identify mm -hmm. um aspects then of that person's voice or um accent and then um copy those features but that that isn't though how this imitation works i mean e even 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 if we for example converse over uh over let's say i mean as as we are doing now over an um hour or so at the um end of that conversation i will in certain ways actually sound very 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 slightly more like you and vice versa and there there are um experiments which actually you know show that so how does this happen that is a fascinating question and 
it is it is the most important thing then to you know to explain then how new um accents uh get started that is that's amazing yeah. <laughs> honestly amazing i would yeah. i would love to have a british accent <laughs> so in a minute way i i love that <laughs> yeah well, thank you so much, Dr. Harrington. This has been very enlightening. I thoroughly enjoyed learning uh, more about your research, and I'm sure our listeners will as well. Oh, well, thank you so much for um, asking me along, and I've um, I've um, really enjoyed talking to you. Same, same here. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Across Acoustics. If you would like to hear more interviews from our authors about their research, please subscribe and find us on your preferred podcast platform.